Uh, hello and welcome to the Monday edition of SFM Sports Wrap. This is the PSL Radio Show Segonjalo on this final day of July 2017. Where has the year gone, would you believe it? Hello, I'm Dwayne DeLocco. Uh, yeah, back, back, back on air, back on air. Yes, indeed. Uh, Taking you through to 7 o'clock, talking sport, talking football specifically. Thank you to Anastasia and the Money We're tuned back again uh, tomorrow, just after the 6 o'clock news, up to uh, 6.30. Uh, tonight, though, we're going to be talking about uh, the tragedy that occurred over the weekend uh, Deeply saddening to hear of the tragic loss of life. Two lives lost over the weekend over the uh, Carling Black Label Cup at uh, FNB Stadium on Saturday afternoon. And certainly profound condolences to the friends and family of those who uh, who lost their lives. And indeed to those who were uh, gravely injured. I believe there were another serious, uh, some serious injuries uh, to a number of people, including one critical. Um, so speedy recovery to those who uh, were injured as well. On Saturday, we're going to be discussing that, of course, with uh, Vili Lembuli and the security expert and Rory Stain tonight. But we'll also catch up uh, on uh, a more football-specific note of Michael Morton, who has uh, made his move from SuperSport United to Amazulu and, in fact, is heading down to the club today. Get the latest news from him. But let's get straight into your sports news then tonight and start off with uh, cricket. A historic hat-trick from Spinner Moyen Ali completed England's telling 239-run victory over South Africa shortly after lunch on day five of the third test at the Oval, and that gives England a 2-1 lead in the series. Cricket correspondent Aslam Kota has the details. England have won by 239 runs after dismissing South Africa for 252 shortly after lunch. It took a hat-trick from Moyen Ali to end the test that England dominated throughout. Ali's first victim was Dean Elgar, caught by Ben Stokes for 136 that came off 228 balls, he hit 24s. The same pair combined to remove Kahiso Rabada, and with the first ball of the next over, Ali had Mornay Morkel stranded in front to complete the first hat-trick for England spinner since Tom Goddard in 1938. Temba Bavuma was the first out this morning for 32 and that ended a 108-run partnership with Elgar. All that mattered then was whether Elgar will get to three figures. His 136 in the end is the first for South Africa in six innings in this series and the first since his 140 in Dunedin in March. Ali picked up 4 for 45 and Toby Roland Jones 3 for 72 to give him match figures of 8 for 129. Man of the match though was Ben Stokes for his 112. England go 2 on up in the series. The fourth test starts on Friday in Manchester. Aslam Kota, SABC Sport. I can tell you as well, the uh, Premier Soccer League in football have confirmed the first official game of the 2017-2018 season will be Bidvest Vitz hosting the Montville Golden Arrows. It's going to be next Friday at the Bidvest Stadium, the 11th of August. MTN8 kicks off. We are excited. Bafana Bafana head coach Stuart Baxter has announced the 25-man squad to face Zambia in the 2018 Africa Cup of uh, African Nations Championship qualifiers. Uh, Kaiser Chiefs goalkeeper Bruce Boomer returns. Super Sports Tim Farmer and uh, Aibulele Kongwabe of Amazulu recalled. Tabuha Mokwena is back in the squad, so to Masilake Botlongo of Ajax Keita and Blumhattain Celtics Tsehovatu Mabaso. I can tell you as well in rugby news, if you are planning on going to a Super Rugby Final on Saturday, Ellis Park is going to be packed to the rafters, but the Lions and Crusaders game has been sold out. The Golden Lions Rugby Union confirmed it this afternoon. Many supporters turned away empty-handed. Ticket holders, though, might not uh, take the option on their seats, but they'll have to uh, until Wednesday to make their decisions. So hold thumbs if you don't have tickets and you really want to go. That's your sports news. PSL Radio Show. Proudly brought to you by the Premier Soccer League. <laughs> SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Now, the uh, the big story of the weekend, obviously, is the tragic story of uh, two fans losing their lives. And, you know, it's the third time that something like this has happened in terms of deaths during a, a Soweto derby. I remember 
uh, friendly match back in Orkney in 1991. There was a host of uh, fans. Over 40 people lost their lives, in fact, uh, on that occasion. Again, I think um, many people remember what was called the Ellis Park uh, disaster or tragedy. That was back in April 2001, uh, where 43 people lost their lives. And you, you keep saying it's never going to happen. It should never happen. Uh, everything gets done to prevent something like this happening. Unfortunately, we've seen clearer and clearer signs, I, in my opinion, that this is, is something that might be happening again, as we saw with uh, Sundown's Pirates last year. Uh, and indeed, even situation like uh, we saw in Cape Town where Athlone Stadium saw uh, a fence collapsing as well. Disappointingly, though, uh, still not sure who's taken responsibility. But for more clarity on the incident, is a man who was there, who lived it, and who is arguably South Africa's most knowledgeable reporter, Vilele Mbule, joins us uh, on the line. Vilele, listen, thank you very much for your time uh, tonight. Obviously, it's been uh, a tragedy, and you must have been kept very busy by, by the ongoing uh, stories. But in a nutshell, can you wrap up what happened on Saturday and, and where we stand now? Well, I think it's been a long day um, with, this, with this story. And obviously, um, very sad because this is a story that we've been following uh, from Saturday. But what we confirmed this morning um, from what we had the PFL offices, uh, the, chair, the two club bosses, uh, the president calls and the gate of down. Uh, confirming that so far, or uh, one of the fans, uh, one of the diseases identified as the Prince Shaoke coming from the Sabi uh, branch in 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 Bumalanga, a kind of change that is, and uh, they are also in the process of uh, locating their second family, and and also one of the fans who was critically injured. Uh, in fact, I understand that he was also on the life support, but looks like the things are getting better uh, at that side. And most of the fans uh, who were injured who had also been admitted to the hospital. Uh, they have since been discharged. So that seems to be the process uh, that is going on now. And then again, uh, on the issue of uh, the commission of inquiry or the independent body that we have to look into this, because that's what the club bosses are pronounced on uh, this morning. Uh, that they will be referring this matter to the PSL, and then the PSL will have to come up with an independent um, uh, senior council on this. But um, after that, uh, there's been different views uh, from some other stakeholders in the game, from the players' union, uh, from another structure that is representing the fans, NAFSA, and also even uh, some journalists that we spoke to, uh, some going as far as feeling that the two clubs cannot be investigating themselves uh, through the PSL. As you know, that the PSL is a committee that will have to accept some of uh, these recommendations or whatever investigation will have uh, to come from that event body. It will be going to the executive committee, and the executive committee is made up of uh, the PSL uh, club owners. So the feeling there is that uh, this matter should be handled by government, and we also spoke to Safa, um, who also, uh, who also are saying there could be a meeting uh, later today or even tomorrow morning between Safa and the PSL, as you know that the two clubs involved in this, in this, uh, unofficial places and tournaments, um, are two members of the PSL. So they could be meeting and also looking at, uh, the statement that has already been made by the Ministry of Sport, where they are talking about, um, forming a ministerial commission of inquiry, uh, where they will also uh, have the terms of reference uh, read out later this week on what should be expected from this, because this is something uh, that many feel that the government should be in charge of, uh, because it also involves the police, it also involves other structures that are outside the game. So 
So I think that is the next uh, point now that we should be looking at because what happened uh, in the stadium was also very unfortunate. And this is one of the things that I also asked uh, from the structure, uh, which is NAFA, which is the structure of the first phase. What lessons are we also taking uh, as the football fans in this country? Because uh, some of the allegations coming out that this is also the result of fake tickets, the counterfeit tickets that were being sold outside the stadium. As we know that uh, some of the fans went to the stadium knowing very well that the tickets are sold out, but still um, they were trying their luck um, because this is something that they are used to in terms of uh, the selling of uh, the fake tickets, which also draws this other structure uh, or, or other stakeholders outside the game, like copy tickets, because these tickets are printed. So who is printing them? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. I think that's something that uh, SFE needs to investigate. But I see even Sadam Marke, the uh, famed Kaiser Chiefs uh, fan, has, has spoken out about uh, this, the t- uh, tickets being bought uh, on the black market, as he termed it. But Bilili Mbuli, succinct, to the point, and uh, so much information. Listen, you've been doing a great job in following it, and uh, I certainly hope to, uh, to, to keep following all your uh, investigations, further investigations and updates. Thank you for your time uh, tonight. Thanks, PD, and I'm sure this is a story that is going to develop further this week. And um, on the other side, there's a club involved here, Orlando Paris, that lost on Saturday, and now you you heard what their coach is already saying, um, uh, Charles Renofrey, who is already saying, well, if the club has got a dream coach, uh, so then so be it. And uh, this is also at the same time when Mitchell resigned in, in Uganda, and uh, I hear now he's here in South Africa, so... There's, there's lots happening Plenty happening in football. But thank you for your time tonight. Sure, sure, Didi. CSL Radio Show. Radio Show. Proudly brought to you by the Premier Soccer League. SFM South Africa's news and information deal. Let's continue talking about this uh, stampede, as some are calling it, as uh, stadium management doesn't want to uh, to call it. But certainly, uh, two people did then at uh, FNB Stadium over the weekend. Apparently and allegedly caused by fans with fake tickets. Uh, those without any tickets who tried to to force their way into a sold out uh, arena. Ultimately, though, two people did. And a lot of people are unaware inside the venue for the majority of the match and only found out afterwards. But how do you prevent or mitigate these circumstances from happening? And uh, I'm delighted to say that on the line we've got former policemen, a, a specialist in security over the years, a man responsible for security from major sporting events to uh, security for heads of state. Rory Stain is on the line. Rory, thanks for joining us. Good evening. Good evening. And... Uh Thanks for having me on your show, Dwayne. Uh, yeah, it's good to chat to you again. It's been a couple of years, but uh, let's, not, yeah. let's not go down that road. But, uh, I mean, yes, it's a different level, but I, I want to start by asking, you know, when you look back at something like the 2010 FIFA World Cup, uh, and maybe you'll tell me we, we, shouldn't, we should compare apples with apples, but, you know, these were packed venues every match during the 2010 World Cup, for example. I don't remember anything like this even, even close to being happening. It was relatively easy getting in and out. There was a nice flow. Why is it different when it comes to a match like this? Well, I don't think that it necessarily is different. If you recall, the opening match of the FIFA 2010 uh, World Cup was was an absolute shambles because the, the traffic yes. management plan wasn't implemented. It was a mess. And then two days later, we had that strike by security staff uh, walking off the job. In fact, had it not been for the for the SAPs um, almost um, preempting that. And having a plan B in their back pocket, which was to use a lot of the young recruits from all around our various police colleges to deploy at the stadiums, were it not for that, 
it could have been a completely different picture. Everybody remembers the FIFA uh, 2010 as being this huge success, and it was a wonderful celebration, you know, for all of us as South Africans. But it could have been, hor- it could have gone horribly wrong, but it didn't because the you know the police had a plan. That said, you can't deploy people who have never been into a particular stadium you know, two or three days before into that stadium because they're not familiar with it. They're not going to be familiar with the evacuation and disaster management planning. But nothing happened, and therefore uh, it's, all, it's all seen as a success. But it, it, it absolutely wasn't. But, um, Dwayne, let's talk about the, you know, the incident at hand. I heard an interview with the stadium manager, and, and everything he said, I have to say, made perfect sense. Um, there is going to be anger. There are going to be questions asked because two people have lost their lives and a bunch of people are injured. But there, there are a couple of things that we need uh, to look at here. And one of them is that we must remember that all of our uh, safety legislation, and I, I do use the word uh, safety specifically for a reason because it is very different to security. What we're talking about at a sport event um, or any other event, uh, entertainment for that matter, is the, the public safety, the safety of the public. And just like the Hillsborough disaster in the UK led to um, probably the most stringent public safety at sports and recreation events in the world, which is the British uh, system, and everybody talks about the Green Guide that came out of that Justice Taylor Commission into that a Hillsborough disaster. So our safety legislation comes from the, the Justice Nuepe Commission of Inquiry into the, um, the what's known as the Ellis Park disaster, where 43 people lost their lives again at a Soweto derby at Ellis Park in 2001. And that led to Justice Nuepe saying we need to have um, certain fundamentals in place, one of which is there must be a centralized control room where all the role players um, are represented, in, in fact, the heads of those role players. So the police commander must be there, the stadium manager must be there, the head of the private security deployed at the stadium must be in this venue operations center. There must be clear, um, uh, differentiated roles and responsibilities between these various role players. And the stadium manager in this interview that I'm referring to quite correctly mentioned, as you did in your introduction, mentioned the seven ESSPC planning committee. So now, in terms of the SASRIA, which is the Safety at Sports and Recreation Events Act, it's an act that was promulgated in the beginning of 2010, and that governs all uh, safety planning for major events, uh, whether they be sports, as I said, uh, recreation, or even other events. So they were. So you have this animal called the ESSPC, it's the Event Safety and Security Planning Committee. And that is always chaired by the most senior police operational commander. And on that ESSPC serve various people. So you'll have the city or the province's disaster management uh, person. You'd have the fire chief. You'd have the traffic or the, or the metro police department um, authority represented there. You'll certainly have the stadium security, uh, safety and security vendor. So whichever uh, private security company the stadium or the um, provincial uh, sporting body contracts, they all represented on that committee, and they had seven such planning committees. Now, I'm very willing to accept that the planning was done thoroughly, because if you have seven planning meetings, you've, you know, you've kind of visited it from, from, from every angle. 
But that doesn't detract from a, uh, from a couple of realities. And the one reality is, Dwayne, and I was a cop for 18 years, so I'm saying this as a former cop. Police officers are trained as police officers. As we combat crime, we maintain law and order, and we basically do a security function. A public safety function is a very different function. And in my humble view, and bear in mind, I've been involved in this game since 1999 in planning of safety at sports grounds, since 1999. And I'm telling you that the police are not necessarily trained in public safety matters. That is why you have um, uh, safety officers and disaster management uh, personnel from either the city or the province or both that serve on these ESSPCs. And I don't think that they are ever given sufficient kind of authority and clout. Now, as I said, all of the members of the ESSPC do their job on that committee under the chairmanship of the senior police commander. So the senior police commander, who ultimately must sign off the operational planning, needs to satisfy him or herself that the public safety, or in put in other words, the disaster management and the um, evacuation planning is done to, a, to, 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 to such a degree that public safety, things like stampedes, crowd management, um, temporary structures in venues, all of that stuff, uh, he needs to satisfy himself that those have, that have been done. And I've seen over and over again that that is not always the case because the, 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 the police officer doesn't necessarily have the knowledge of that. So when you now hear that a gentleman admits that he and two mates went to the stadium, one of them didn't have a ticket, so they bought a ticket outside the ground, which turned out to be counterfeit. And when the um, security officer at the turnstile told them that this ticket is counterfeit and therefore it's not activating the turnstile, they can't get in, they said, so what do we do now? He said, oh, just give me 50 bucks, then you're in. And so he freely admits that they bribed the security officer. So you've got an issue here where you've got counterfeit tickets, and you've got the very people that should be maintaining um, the correct level of access control are, in fact, doing the exact opposite. And before we start pointing fingers, Dwayne, before we think that this is only a soccer issue, or, heaven forbid, we even bring race into it, let me tell you it's not. If you look at, I challenge you, if you look at any photograph of the 1995 Rugby World Cup final, that famous Final yeah. where we beat the All Blacks and Madiba gives the World Cup to Francois Pinot. Have a look at, you know that classic photograph of Stransky's drop goal going over that just about every office in South Africa has got a copy of mm-hmm. on their wall. Have a look at the upper, um, eastern level at Ellis Park and you tell me if you can see one staircase there. Yeah. There isn't a staircase to be seen because it's full of people with their backsides on those stairs as they would have been on this past Saturday um, at, at FNB Stadium because they paid. I know people, sadly, I was a cop at the time, and I know people who bribed their way into the Rugby World Cup final in 95. So this is nothing new. You have, you have these, uh, these security officers that are working a, a long day, anything from a 7 to a 12 or even 14-hour shift. They're not very well paid. And this is just an opportunity to, to put some extra cash in the back pocket. So, um, so, yes, you can have your ESSPC, and the planning can be uh, done very well and very thoroughly. But where the rubber hits the road, where you've got a guy allowing people in for the payment of, of 50 rand in cash, 
or where you have people arriving with the express intention of going and buying a ticket, knowing that the venue is sold out, you're going to have these problems, whether you like it or not, and however thoroughly your your planning is done or not. And then that is exacerbated by the fact that you may or may not have um, people whose responsibility public safety is with enough clout making a strong enough stand. Because what can happen in the UK, and I'm sorry to make comparisons because we really shouldn't do that, but in the UK you have an individual known as the Stadium Safety Officer, and he is imbued with incredible powers. That safety officer has the authority to prevent the game from continuing, um, or he can, uh, sorry, let me, let, let me rephrase that. He has the ability to prevent spectators coming into the game. So the game will happen, but it will be uh, televised and there won't be any spectators in the ground if, in his opinion, the stadium is not safe because his signature goes onto that safety certificate. Every match has to have a safety certificate signed off in Britain. And let's not forget that the Hillsborough disaster to which I referred earlier, the inquest and subsequent investigation into those deaths was only resolved last year, and it happened in the 80s. So that's how seriously it's taken there, and we should take it equally seriously. But I'm saying, don't blame the stadium management. Don't blame the cops. Don't blame this or that agency. What about the personal responsibility of the spectators that are arriving at that stadium, knowing that they're going to buy a kind of a ticket or they're going to bribe their way in, and then everybody's up in arms because the cops or the security didn't do A or Z or did do X and Y. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying that there's a, whole, there's a whole lot that we need to look at here. And sadly, um, Dwayne, it's just a fact of life in South Africa. I'm not, as I said, I've been doing this since the late 90s. Um, Sporting authorities in general do not take safety, public safety at the stadium seriously enough. They all see this, um, this, you know, the deployment of, of security officers and whatever as a kind of a drain. It's a, it's a cost. And people just, uh, just generally don't take it seriously enough. And that, that's tremendously sad. Now we've got two people dead and a bunch of them injured. And that there's always a whole plethora of actions or inactions that led to it. So we've got a brilliant set of, um, you know, set of guidelines from Justice Bernard Nwepe's, uh commission, and we've got this legislation. It's not uh, the, the, the legislation is very good and it's very necessary, but it's not infallible, and it's not, you know, it's not, uh, it, it, it's not the, the the best legislation that it can be. But absolutely, it's necessary because we need to be protecting life and limb and public safety at these events. So I'm sorry if I've taken a long way to kind of um, answer one question, um, but it's something I'm very passionate about. Yeah, because, you, you, you know, it's something that we do on a daily basis yeah, you, around you, the world, by the way. You, you, well, it has. I mean, I, I think everyone, I mean, whether you watch basketball in Canada right the way around uh, to United States uh, baseball, right. etc. But yeah, unfortunately, Rory, look, time is against us. Yes, but you have covered a range of things, and certainly it does seem to be a tragic confluence of uh, a range of factors that uh, that has come in. Yes. But I see some of the uh, the uh, b- bigger or more well-known supporters as well, including Saddam Marquez, has actually come out and said that, uh, that, uh, that supporters do need to shoulder some of the blame, owing to the yeah. fact that some deliberately go and buy uh, what in terms of the black market tickets. And, uh, yes, indeed. Uh, but unfortunately, Rory, time is against us, so we're going to have to leave it there. But thank you very much for your time and, uh, and all that insight. Uh, You're most evening. welcome. And good evening, everybody. CSL Radio Show. Proudly brought to you by the Premier Soccer League. <laughs> 
Hey, so Vimson Africa's news and information leader. Let's change tack now. Here's a great story for you. Michael Morton, Bolivia They've left Supersport United. They'll be playing for Amazulu this coming uh, Absa Premiership season 2017-2018. So back in KZN, I'm delighted to say we've got Michael Morton on the line. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining us. Good evening. Hi, Dwayne. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Uh, how are you doing? I mean, I, I believe there was a deliberate approach for you by uh, by Amazulu. I mean, uh, how, how did your move come about? Um, yeah, um, I obviously uh, didn't feature as regularly as I would have liked Super Sports last season, so we just sort of opened discussions with Super Sports and said, listen, um, sort of what's the avenue forward from here? And um, they've, they've allowed me to go back on football elsewhere. So it's a sort of mutually agreement, a mutual agreement that we could uh, find another home for me, really. Uh, you talk about home, but I mean, you previously called KwaZulu Natal home as well. Although at uh, Maritzburg United, are you relishing heading he- heading back to to KZN? Uh, I actually drove through today for the first time. So driving down from Joburg, uh, driving through Maritzburg, uh, reminiscing a bit. So uh, yeah, it does feel a little bit like home for a lot of friends and stuff this far. So yeah, it's. Uh, Good to be back this side of the world. Okay, so you say it was confirmed over the weekend. You, you say you only drove down today. So have you had a chance to meet anybody from the club or anybody in camp? Have you had a, a, a chance to sit down with Joey Antipas, a coach, or anybody from Amazulu? Nothing just yet. Uh, that's all planned for tomorrow. Um, I signed the deal on Friday, so uh, they gave me a bit of time to just do pack the bags and then uh, head down today. So I'll, I'll meet up with everyone tomorrow. So, so I believe Liverpool is on a loan deal. You're in a permanent deal, are you? Um, uh, it's classified as a loan deal, but it looks like it might turn permanent after a year. So, okay. Uh, yeah, that's just the way to it. Okay, okay. So, so, so it's one of those with an option on uh, on the end of it. Okay. Fair, exactly. Yeah. F- fair enough. But I mean. Uh, We've heard a lot from uh, Amazulu. Obviously, they uh, they bought the status of uh, Tundra Zulu, were promoted from the National First Division last season. They are an ambitious club in in, in many ways. But uh, have you got a sense of, of of what the spirit, what the ambition of the club is is like already? Um, I was always a huge fan of Amazulu and the setup they had when they were in the PSL a couple of years back. Um, just the, the stadium and the, and the area that they're in and where they train and everything. It's, it's and just a, it's a great historical club, really, and. Uh, so I've always had an interest, and in, uh, over the years they've also sort of given me a couple of calls. Um, just to find out that my availability over the years has just so worked out that uh, now it's actually available, and now that they, they've they bought their way back into the league and obviously showing their ambitions, so I'm very happy to finally make the move, yeah. Uh, well, I, I tell you, you're talking about making moves. You've been making uh, some moves as well. Uh, national team colours is uh, something you're not unfamiliar with at the moment. Uh, obviously, the uh, Championship of African Nation qualifiers is uh, happening again against Zambia this, uh, this coming weekend. Is the first leg of the of the final round of uh, of qualifiers. How does it feel to be representing your country? Oh, it's incredible. Uh, I was actually on on holiday. Uh, we got a seven ten day seven to ten day holiday with Super Sports because of our cap, uh, campaign. Um, and got a call from Stuart while I was away in Zanzibar and uh, said, would you like to play for the national team? And uh, <laughs> so I packed up the bags and then headed back. And it was incredible. So uh, glad I got a uh, good 20 minutes in the last game and ecstatic to get another call up now for the next one. Um, so obviously in Amazulu hands whether they let me go because I understand we're sort of building up now to the, the beginning of the league and it's not a FIFA date. So it's going to, yeah, obviously I haven't even trained with the team yet, so... It's going to be logistically trying to find a way to make it happen. 
Yeah, I suppose that is uh, w- one of the concerns. But in terms of uh, national team call-ups, obviously an opportunity to uh, to qualify for the the uh, edition that's going to be played in uh, in Kenya next. Uh, in terms though of uh, Amazulu overall. Uh, I mentioned the, 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 the ambitions of the club. You've spoken about uh, the, the, the history of the club as well and, and you know, how, how revered it is. But when you, when you put that Amazulu jersey on, uh, you're going to get the, the, the sense that this is a, a club that's, that's been there and done it because it is one of the most celebrated clubs in, uh, in South Africa. And there is a, a heavy burden from a, a fan expectation, if, uh, you know, if, if I want to put it mildly. You, you enjoy playing with the pressure of needing to please the fans continually? Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's football in general, and um, it just, just comes with the territory, and, and you want to be playing somewhere where there is an expectation that there is mm. uh, a desire to win. You don't want to be going somewhere where they're content with the uh, uh, mediocrity. So it, it is. It is nice um, to know that there is drive here and there is uh, ambition. Otherwise, I wouldn't have come to a place like this. Um, yeah, it's always it's always been an attractive attractive club, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, it's and, going to be a, a nice leap of faith, I think. And you're going to be playing with a, a player who's older than some of the PSL coaches. Siabonga uh, Nombete <laughs> turns 40 this year, and he's still banging in the goals. That's that's just incredible. Uh, it is. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think all of us as footballers are thinking, geez, if we can get to 33, 34, we've had a great career and, and he's knocked on the door 40. And uh, I think uh, it's just sort of testament to the way he looks after himself and the type of professional that he is. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. It's crazy. You were barely out of nappies when he started playing and he's still playing. That's, I mean, that's just bonkers when you think about it, but... Listen, Michael, yeah. it's been great chatting to you again. Well, well done in the move and uh, certainly in the uh, before I call up as well. But uh, best of luck, certainly with Amazulu and indeed with the uh, national team. Cool, thank you so much, Ben. We'll catch you CSL Radio Show. Proudly brought to you by the Premier Soccer League. Well, that's all we've got time for tonight. We encourage you to get in touch with us, SFM Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you've got any questions or comments about the show, please uh, email the executive producer, Kulchik. You can use sport at sfm.co.za. But uh, stick around. Naledi Muleo, she's up after the news for the uh, talk shop, and she's going to kill me for saying that. Ah, Naledi Muleo. Yes, she's up after the news of the talk shop. Don't go anywhere. More sport tomorrow morning on AM Live and Brad Bradley tomorrow between 6.30 and 7 o'clock for more sport and analysis on the uh, latest sporting news. I'll be back on Thursday, but from the uh, PSL Radio Show, uh, Second Jalo team tonight, producer Siobhan Chetty, Midway and Delocker. Have a lovely evening. Cheers at 7 o'clock.